called anatomy of repentance. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 17 through 20. It says 32, but it's only through 20. And we'll cover a few things tonight. Finally, the Bible says, he finally came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than food enough to eat? Oh, I'm starving here to death. I'll go out once to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Make me as one of your hired men. So he went at once to his father. While he's still at a great distance, his father saw him, felt sorry for him, ran to his son, put his arms around him, and, and kissed him. Right before this, most of you know the story. His, the younger son asked his father for his inheritance. I'll get to that in a minute. But one thing that happens is that there's one part of this that I talked about very briefly. Let me say it again, because this happens. This is what happens. From one day to the next, your, your home can be fine. If the next, literally within a few hours, your home can be totally chaos and heartbreaking. Heartbroken, just, just like anything. It just happened, boop, just, just like that. One day, his son says to his father, give me my... So the day before, everything was fine. There was peace in the home. Things were all right. But the very next day, the child goes to the parent. If you've been raised, if you've lived long enough, there might be a day where your child says to you one day, one day the next, I'm done with church. I ain't going to church no more. I don't believe in God. And, and you don't see it coming. Just one day to the next, things happen, and it's chaotic. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But, but it does happen to people. And you think, you know, right now we're sitting here and we're taking, taking things probably for, uh, for granted. Things are fine in your life. But one moment, five minutes, tomorrow morning, your whole world could change. And we all, we all know this. Men, young people, backslide, husbands leave wives, wives leave husbands. When I was in Australia preaching years ago and a pastor's wife had got on Facebook and she, she met her old friend from high school. And literally the pastor, he's a pastor, he's got kids, just, you know, kids. And he's pastoring a pastor's church. He comes home from work one day. And his wife simply says, I'm out of here. You won't see me again. He says, I'm gone. I don't want the kids to take them by. One day to the next, your heart can be totally shattered. It's, it's a story of a community, of a family, of a mother, of their hearts being broken. Suddenly, just boom, it happens. Now, when our hearts are broken suddenly, we discover a lot about ourselves. When things happen suddenly, all of a sudden what comes out when that happens reveals a lot about ourselves. I said this before. Let me say it again. The, the young son here, because the sad thing about it is this happens, but the sad thing about this is it didn't have to happen. It didn't have to happen. It didn't have to go down this way. Here he is, this young prodigal. He's in the church there. I was going to use the church as an analogy, but he's in the church. And his failure comes out, and all sin, sooner or later, it's going to come out. People say, Pastor, I don't want no one to know about my sin. The whole world will know sooner or later. The whole world will know. People say to me before, Pastor, this is what I did, but I don't want anyone to know about it. Trust me, if you don't repent, the whole world will know about it. So here he is in the church, he's listening to the sermons, his dad's preaching, going to revivals, whatever he's doing, but he failed to judge himself. He failed to check himself because he didn't have to say this to his father. He could have the temptation to say it to his father. He can go to his father, he, you know, I'm thinking about going to dad and say, dad, I want my son. He, he can have these mind battles, you can have those, that's one thing, and they're there and you deal with them, but you deal with those things. You check yourself and you allow, when you're in church, you're in revivals, you allow the word of God to to, to pierce your heart and change you, to check you some way. That you say, you know what, I ain't doing what I, I've been thinking about this, but I heard that sermon, you know what, 
that sermon, it's gonna, it checks me. And you allow God to check you. He failed to check himself. He failed. I don't know what he learned all those years in church, but he failed along the way. You know what? He didn't take it all in. You, make, you have to make a choice to take in what you hear from God. What you hear in, and Marty is talking about, he says, sometimes church kids, they go crazy. And he said, why do we, sometimes as a church kids go crazy, they sit through the best preaching and hear all kinds of, and all of a sudden it's crazy, folks. Because along the way, they ain't checking themselves. Things are going on inside them they're not talking about, they're not dealing with, they're not allowing God to convict them, they're not answering altar calls. And the worst thing is they're not responding to the voice of God. I guarantee you this young man had some mind battles before he ever went to his father. In his mind, he said, you know, I'm going to go ask dad for everything I have. Now, saying that, remember I told you this. You must know this. This is a shocking request because we know the oldest son gets two-thirds and the younger son would get one-third. But for him to walk up to his father and say, dad, uh, by the way, I'm to talk to you a minute. Dad thinks it's another normal day at church. Thinks everything's fine. And he says, Dad, I just want to my inheritance. If anyone heard that, that would be so shocking. In fact, number one, Jesus tells a story. It's really about the love of God. I'll get that later in some of the sermon. But if they were to hear that, it's probably one of the most disrespectful things they would ever hear someone say to their father. What he was saying is, Dad, I'm going to wait until you die. And, and one author said it was like wishing him dead now. How would you feel if someone walked and said, you know I love you, Dad, man. I love you, Dad, but, you know, I want your truck. You know, I'm going to wait to get your truck. Can you just give it to me now? I want everything you have right now. I want, you know, I wish you were dead. How would you feel if someone told you, I wish you were dead? That's what he would say to his father. I wish you were dead. I want my, my, I want my stuff, and I talked about that in a sermon, that we want God's stuff, but we don't, we don't want him. And he said, Dad, give me my inheritance. Normally, what their father does, what's shocking about it is not just the request. What's shocking about it is the father's response. Because normally when a son was rebellious like that, the elders of the community could stone the guy to death if they wanted to. But normally the father would either beat the kid physically with his fist, hit him, beat him, and run him out. Never to allow him back in the house, ever. Normally that's what the fathers would do. In fact, what the fathers normally would do is take a jar. It would be like a, it would be like a, a, a vessel, <clears throat> a vase. And they'd take a vase and just break it, shatter it to a thousand pieces, symbolizing you just broke up our family relationship, and it can never be restored. You've been, you, what you just did is rejected us, rejected your faith, rejected the community, you rejected all, everything you've ever stood for, you rejected it all, and you can never, ever come back. That's what they normally did. But you notice in the story, there's nothing about the vase, which is kind of odd. But he does come to his father and do what's shocking to the hearers would is a shot of the father's response. Because the father does what his son asks. No one would do that. His father would actually have to sell his property, divide it up, and give out his son his portion. He would have to divide up his inheritance, his land. You had Status in the community based on how much land you had. When you lost land, you lost some status. If you had a disrespectful son, you lost some status in the community. And he's asking his father to break up his life. But you know what the truth is? He don't care about his father breaking up his life when people are in sin. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. Uh, Dad, I don't care if it breaks up your life. I could care less if it breaks up your life. 
I think the word property is the word biology, and it had the idea of breaking up someone's life. But to me, it's more than just breaking up the land. He's breaking up his heart. His father does what he asks. His father, okay, this is what you want. And he gives his son what he asked for. He's really tearing his son's heart apart. Not his son's heart, but the father's heart apart. So I talked about two weeks ago about repentance. All of life is repentance. I won't go back into that. The first thought I had before was repentance is coming to your senses. The Bible says that he came to his senses. It implies that he wasn't in normal himself when he was doing what he was doing. And it's true about anyone. Anyone that gets involved in any kind of sin, number one, normally it's not my note. Normally you don't see yourself. And sometimes you're unrecognizable, what you become. And you don't, even, you don't see the, the change. But you show me someone just gives himself over to sin. They can be living for God, turn the other way. As time, it, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't take long at all before you don't recognize them. So, you know, because you're not really yourself. And he really wasn't. And I said last sermon, that uh, two sermons ago on a Thursday, the Bible said he comes to his senses. And he said, at home, my hired servants have more than enough to eat. And I said then, he gets a revelation of God's goodness. And that's what's going to drive him back. He's there in the pig pen. He has nothing. We know that. And he said, you know what? In my father's house, life's a lot better than living here. And, you know, he came to his senses. You know what? You get your brain's on now, son. That's good. I'm glad you got your brain working. It's good. But he says this. He says, <clears throat> he, he came to his senses. Well, what brought him to his senses? I said this, and let me say this again. It, it's, it's everything how he's lived up to this moment. His life begins to crumble. And anyone's, in other words, it's a, it's a price of bad behavior. Sooner or later, something, there's a breakdown in your life. You can sin for so long, but there, there will be a breakdown in your life somewhere. Mentally, physically, spiritually, there is a breakdown that happens because you're not living the way God ordained you to live. And you carry burdens, you carry sins, you carry guilt, you carry shame. You do things you're ashamed of. Sooner or later, there's a breakdown in life. And the only reason there's a breakdown in life is because you have chosen not to live the way God wants you to live, period. And that breakdown happens to anyone. And so one man said it like this. The human heart runs on denial the same way my car runs on gas. You know, I don't think the prodigal was thinking this before he left. I don't think the prodigal said, Dad, I want my stuff, and what I plan to do is ruin my life. Dad, you know, I want my, I want my inheritance, and I'm planning to take off to Vegas or Atlanta. I'm going to take off, and I'm going to hook up with Judy, uh, and I, I'm talking to her on Facebook, and we're going to get together. I don't, I don't think he was thinking about totally losing everything that he had and totally wrecking his life. I don't think that he was thinking like that. I'm sure if you would have talked to him, he would have said, hey, I'm just going to get my inheritance. I got my life to live. I'm a big boy. I'm out of here. I'll be fine. Every one of us, I'll say it again tonight, every one of us have blind spots in our life. If I asked you, do you have blind spots? Most people say, I don't have any. That proves that you have them. The fact that you don't have, the fact that you can't see your blind spot, it ought to wake you up a little bit because there are blind spots in everyone's life and we need a community to bring us to our senses. It's a story about community, not just the son said, I'm going to get right. He had to deal with his father. He had to deal with the community. It's the community that helps us live right for God. It's not an individual thing. It's a community that makes us and brings us to our senses. It's a community that helps us in our repentance.
So, but he's blindsided by his own sin. And so what brings him to his senses, we know I said last time two weeks ago, is pain. Proverbs 19 says a man's foolishness will ruin his life. Another version says the stupidity of a person turns his life upside down, yet he will fight against God. And so here he is. He's, it's a meltdown. Psalm says, I'm surrounded by many troubles. Too many to count. My sins have caught up with me. I can no longer see. I have lost all courage. And so here he is. The anatomy, I call it the anatomy of sin, just means the structure of it. Because sin, not sin, but repentance has a structure to it. The anatomy of repentance is the structure of repentance. It's the vertical. The vertical just means upright. Because when someone repents, this is how it works. There's repentance. He comes to his senses. He says, he says to his father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am more worthy to be called your son. For a moment, for just a moment, he, when he comes to his senses, he realizes I've sinned against God. And in repentance, it's not just, it's here, but it's there first and others. I sinned against God and I sinned against other people. Repentance has a direction to it. And you would think, well, he says, I've sinned against God. You'd say, well, wait a minute, what about the elder brother? What about his family? What about his mom? What about his father? Yeah, 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 he sinned against them too, but utmost he sinned against God. He hurt them. Notice what he says here. This is probably a good thought here. He, he calls sin, sin. He grew up in church. You know, you know right from wrong. Call it what it is. Wrong's wrong. Right's right. And just call it what it is. This young man said, you know, Dad, I, I'm going to call it what it is. It's sin. I know what it is. His dad doesn't try to talk him out of it. He says, Dad, I have sinned. He says, oh, son, no, you didn't. God knows your heart. You, you, you know what? I understand. Said, son, it's not that bad. No, his dad didn't justify his sin. And you know it's... It, you, so how do you know sin? Let me throw this to you. Throw this at you. Can I throw this at you? When you've got to go away to do something, if you have to hide from what you're doing, it's probably sinful. If you got to hide it, it's probably sinful. And some people say, well, Pastor, we don't really sin. If it appears to be sin, the Bible says, as a Christian, you shouldn't live a life that appears to be sinful. Good preaching. Thank you. Thank you. It shouldn't appear that way. If it appears that way, it probably is. I'm not saying it always is, but there's a reason why you hide. There's a reason why you go away to do what you're going to do. And he says, if I'm going to sin, at least he realized, if I'm going to sin, I know my father won't tolerate it here. i got to get away from home. Some parents allow their own kids in their own house to do anything they want to do. I think that's a huge mistake. In your house, they ought to come to church at least once a week. This ain't doctrine. It's just what I believe as a pastor. I think you should, I'm not making anybody come to church. But if you've got kids in your house that are adults, if they're in your house and, you're pay, and they're paying bills, I don't care if they pay bills or not, they're underneath your roof. At least you say, you know what, you can live here, but you come to church at least one time a week. Because parents, you know what, you talk your kids out of it. You let them live there, have all the benefits of the kingdom of God. God blessing your life falls on them only because you're in church doing right, not them. <laughs> it's quiet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm saying it like it is. Preach it, preach it, preach it. I'm going to preach it. And you let your own kids just live a sinful life without you checking them, not even challenging them to come to church one time a week. Well, they wouldn't do it. You haven't even asked them. They'll say, well, I don't want to go to church once a week. No problem. Just let me know where you want to live. No problem. No, you have to, no, you have to do it. No problem. What's so hard about coming to church one hour a week? Come on. Stop it. I'm supposed to be talking easy tonight. 
You know, she's like teaching, just like, oh, yeah, the Bible says, you know, okay. I'm not doing that tonight, I guess, huh? So I think that's one thing on this, you know, on my notes, but I think it's one big mistake people make, parents make with their own kids. They, they let their kids off, man. If they're underneath your roof. Uh, there's no sin to ask them to come once a week. And you'd be surprised. There's some kids that wish their parents would challenge them. So, you know what, son, you're not going to do that. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna come to church once a week. That's it. Now, when you get to church, you can sit there and look retarded, get crazy. I could care less. You can sit there and just, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do all you want to do. That's fine. I care less what you do. I'm not going to tell you, raise your hand. You got to sit. You don't have to do nothing. Just come sit in God's presence, and you and God can work it out. And trust me, God will work it out. Years ago, I'd come to church here. Someone in the church was complaining about my own sons. I can't imagine people complaining about people. Someone says, you know, your sons are in church, and they should be. I don't know if you notice it, Pastor, when they're in church, they don't lift their hands like that. They should be lifting their hands up like that. They should be setting the example of lifting their hands up like that. I said, someone needs to check your brain, kid. I said, I care less if my kids go like that. I'm just glad they're in church, period. And so here he is. He calls sin, sin. Dad, don't try to talk about it, but he says, I've sinned against God. Psalms 51, when David kills Uriah, we know that he steals a man's wife. We know he did 10 things wrong. He broke every commandment there was, but he kills Uriah. He steals a man's wife, then has a man killed in battle. And then the greatest scripture is probably Psalm 51. I have to agree with a lot of the writers. His confession, he says, oh, God, against you have sinned. Not only against you have I sinned, God. Now, you would say, well, what do you mean? He sinned just against, what about the guy who's dead? That's all that's right, but the truth is, biblically, all sin is against God, first, his goodness, and other people. You have to understand this, because this helps us understand change. You begin to think about how good God has been to you, how loving your wife or your family have been to you. And this is what wakes you up, and to really changing, because I talked about changing Two weeks ago, and I talked about repentance, and I talked about so-called repentance. Sometimes it's just nothing but self-righteousness or self, uh, self-centeredness. Sometimes people repent, and I mentioned because of the pain that is caused, not because of what's happened. They're, they don't like the pain of it. And I gave the illustration of a man who's getting ready to lose his wife. His wife says, I'm leaving you, and she said, okay, I'll go to counseling with you one time. He goes to counseling. The man cries. He weeps. She said, I want you to change this, 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 and this. He changes all those things, but after four or five months, after having all those changes, once he, was, once he believed she wouldn't leave, he went back to his old behavior. He repented because of the pain he felt. Yeah, he sobbed. The pastor said he was weeping in my office. He, did he really cry? Absolutely did he cry. Was it painful? Absolutely it was painful. But the connection we all have to make, it can't just be painful to you. You have to realize you hurt someone else. It can't stop. And I'm glad it should, it should be there. It should rest on you. You ought to feel the pain of this. The prodigal is going to get right with God when he felt the pain of being hungry. But he comes back, he realizes, here's you got to make the connection. If you're really going to change, change and keep your change, you got to realize, you know, I, I, I hate the pain that I have caused, but more than the pain that I caused to myself, that self-centeredness, it's not just about how I feel, I've been hurt. No, no. It's more than that. It's that, but it's more than that. It's, you know, I've hurt myself, but dear God, I hurt God, I hurt other people. And when you make that connection, then you have some permanent change. Because now what keeps you is not just your self-centeredness. It's the love for other people in God. You say, how could I do this to God? 
How can I do this to a God who's loved me and took care of me all these years? I can't do this, man. I can't do this to my wife or my family or the church. You begin to think about other people. That's what will keep you. That's what will keep you chained. That will help you stay chained and, and be who you ought to be. And so we are hurt because we hurt others. Not just upset about ourselves, but because we hurt other people. And you ought to think about that for a moment. Before you get ready to do something crazy, you got to think about God and think about others. Like your wife, your kids, your young man. Think about your family. Think about your parents. Think about if I do this, I'm going to hurt so many people. That ought to keep you in check. You got to love them enough and understand, you know, God, I can't, how could I do this against your goodness? You've been so good to me all these years. How could I do this against you? I read a story years ago of a pastor, and he was asked, he's an older pastor, he says, how do you live clean? I mean, you're always tempted. When you're young, you get tempted. You get old like me, you're not tempted no more. Ain't no looking at you. <laughs> Except for people, you know, women with no teeth. Anyway, um, I've had some women look at me like that, like 80 years old. Come on, girl, I'm not that old. Come on, you can be my mom, man. Come on, stop it. Well, I was going to Loma Linda for a while swimming. There's all these old people, 70, 80, 90 years old. And some of the women are like 80 and be looking at me. I said, oh, no, I'm out of here, man. I ain't that. Come on, man. That ain't temptation. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's sinful. That's wrong. That, that hurts. I said, man, come on. But anyway... They asked this pastor, how have you managed to live clean and not violate your family, your church? And he says, well, you know, when I get these crazy thoughts where I'm tempted by women, or if you're a girl, you're tempted by a man. He said, in my car and in my wallet, I have a picture of my family. He said, I always look at my family. He said, I look at my family and my church, my fa- especially my family. I said, I look at it almost every single day and remind myself, do right, son. Because you will hurt so many people if you do wrong. And he said, that, I look at that, I look at my wife. I think about her weeping, my kids. That alone, he said, keeps me in check. Do what you got to do to keep yourself in check. He says, I've sinned not just against heaven, but I've sinned against you, Dad. It always involves other people. And I want you to see this quickly. <clears throat> It's horizontal. I've sinned against you, and in your sight, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I like this, because there's no blame shifting here, and there's no excuses. Some folks, you know what? Some folks never change, and because they don't change, but you know why they don't change? Because they're always blaming other people for their actions and their behavior. Oh, you know, the son doesn't say, Dad, I sinned, and he went into a thing, I'll get to that in a minute. No, no, there's, no, there's none of that at all. And some people, they're, 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 they're very touchy, and they're, they're, their emotions are childlike, and you made me mad. You made me do it. You said that. I said this. You, because you said that, I got mad. And you go on and on and on and on. The other day, I was talking to someone probably two weeks ago, and the person got mad and went off. It's people was driving, just, just lost it. And I happened to hear him talking. He said, you know, people, stupid people just went crazy. And I said, Talking to me about it, I said, I heard everything you were saying. He didn't know his phone was still on. And he said, I said, you have some choice, choice words I, never, I don't hear you say very much. 
He said, yeah, yeah. well, I was mad. And they, and he went, he said, they did this, this, this. And he said, what do you think? I said, I don't buy it. So why would you allow someone, you give them the power over your emotions? Why would you allow someone else control your emotions? It's the children do. He took my candy. Why are you acting like that, bro? He took my candy, pastor. The usher was rude to me. Where are my feelings? I said, I want to sit over there. He said, no, no. He made me mad. He made me mad. And some of you, some of you, some of you right here, I'm not going to point you out, but some of you right here, you're so touchy, I know how to push your butt. I can get you mad like that. Push your button. You know why? Because you blame me for making you mad. The truth is, it's you. You're giving people the power over your emotions. Why would you give someone that kind of power over your emotions? Why would you give another human being the power to rob you of the peace God gave you on the cross? He couldn't. He, and some folks are like that. <laughs> I didn't help. I got a confession here. <laughs> that same individual was, was on the phone, and, and I started going, he thought a, a, car, a dog was in his car. And then he started cussing at the dog. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, there's a dog in my car. That blanking dog. And he went, oh, no. And I thought, oh, I made him cuss. <laughs> so I had to tell him. He said, was that you? I said, that was me. He said, oh, my God. So I'm sorry. I, I repent. I repent. I'm sorry. I said, I didn't know you'd start swearing and getting so mad. But he thought when he heard the dog bark, ruff, ruff, he goes, oh, my God. There's a dog in my stupid car. Where is this dog in my car? Oh, my God. He's screaming. And I'm, I'm laughing. And then I had to tell him. But anyway, but you've done worse, right? Come on. You've done worse than a dog bark. But I like this because he doesn't do that. He doesn't do he doesn't He doesn't blame shift. He doesn't say, Dad, I, you know, Dad, I had to leave because my brother. Dad, Dad, I wanted to stay. But, you know, my self-righteous Pharisee brother, if you had to live with, if you, Dad, if you had to live, like I had to live with him in one room and bunk bed with him for 12 years, you'd leave too. If you had gone through what I'd gone through in the church, you'd have left too. All there are excuses. I don't know, I said this at Marty's church, it was a new thoughts, some stuff I preached, I just added some, some new stuff to my sermon, but. I thought about a church. I'm probably going to preach a sermon on it. Maybe it's Thursday night. A thought on is that, can I tell you something, the reality of church? Reality in church, you can get hurt. You're going to find some rudeness. You find some coldness. You can find unkindness. You'll find a lot of people that have unrealistic expectations of Christians. There are no perfect church. There are no perfect people. So I would say you can get hurt. You can get hurt deeply. You can be offended. You can be betrayed. You can be lied about. And you can find out some friends are false and enemies are real. Because anytime you have human beings, you have problems. And with all of that, I would still challenge you as a pastor. The best thing you can do is go to church. He doesn't say, Dad, Dad, I would love to stay. But my brother, Dad, I just had enough. I just had to Dad that. Enough's enough. I'm out of here. He didn't, I didn't lie. He didn't do none of that. He doesn't blame. Here's a, here's a lady. Because sometimes couples do that. So what do you mean? <clears throat> they give someone else the power over them. They say something like this. 
especially single people. We all know this to be true. Before they get married, they're single. They say, well, I want to get married, Pastor. I want a man. Or a guy says, I want a girl. That's, especially if it's a woman. She says, I want a man that's going to meet all my needs. He's going he's to fulfill all my desires. He's going to take care of me. Anything I wish and want and desire, he will fulfill everything. I can't wait till I get married. I'll be fulfilled finally. Oh, no, you won't. Oh, heck no. You're so crazy, guy. A crazy girl to think when you get married, you'll be fulfilled. No, you'll just be married. <laughs> That's all. There's nothing different. You're just married now. Well, I thought you were going to fulfill me. Oh, you didn't fulfill me. So here's this one I shared years ago. This pastor's in his office. A female member of his congregation sat before him. She was single a mother, frustrated, lonely, teary-eyed. She saw no future coming. All she saw was more emptiness and loneliness. It wasn't long before I realized that her idea of a happy future marriage, you know what it was. After listening to her to her reasons for feeling the way why she should marry, and so I finally said, "Stop! What kind of man are you looking for?" She hesitated for a moment. She said, "I want a total man." <laughs> Just what is a total man? How would you describe the man you're seeking to fulfill your life? 30 minutes later, <laughs> after she completed her description of what she called a total man, I said, newsflash, a breed of man that like that does not exist. Prodigals doesn't do this. Man, I can't get to my last point. It's okay. No, I'll save this. It's a good one. I'll read one scripture and I'm going to end here. So, nothing should be able to drive you from your God. People offend you, mean, angry, call you a name. Nothing should be able to drive you out of the church of God. It's unrealistic to think people aren't people in the church. Of course they are. I know that we think something higher we ought to. Then you would say, what am I supposed to do, pastor, if people are like that? I'm glad you asked. Colossians 3, verse 12. You are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. So then you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with one another. Forgive one another. Whenever any of you has a complaint against the other, just like the Lord has forgiven you. And all these qualities add that Christ... The love that binds all things together in perfect unity. The peace that Christ gives is to guide you in all the decisions you make in life. For it is the peace that God has called you together in one body. And so be thankful for one another. How am I supposed to live? You're supposed to live like a Christian. Period. It's not based on what you do or don't do to me. It's about my relationship with my God. That's stronger than any human relationship that drives me out of a church. But going back to the prodigal, he says, Dad, I'm not blaming anyone but myself. That is so refreshing to have someone say, you know what, Pastor, I ain't blaming anyone. I'm blaming myself.